Good evening, everyone, and welcome to our, I think, I want to say our seventh, our sixth episode of our roundtable, but our first episode of Toxicology. Toxicology is our action to our roundtable talking about addiction. Uh, joining us, we have Lisa Paskaroska and Riley Osborne. Welcome. Hello. Um, hello. Riley is the executive director of Recovery Unplugged Nashville, and he's also the director of business for Virtual IOP. Riley's personal recovery story started early as he found sobriety at, at just 19 years old. Riley is an active member of the Nashville recovery community, a certified peer recovery specialist, an outdoor enthusiast, and sports fanatic. Focusing on being of service to others is a major part of his recovery program and is the fuel behind wanting to serve others professionally. Riley's passion is to continue to provide hope and healing through recovery unplugged experience. Welcome, Riley. Hey, guys. Glad to be here. Uh, glad to have you, man. Um, we also have Lisa Pascarosa. Lisa is the head of sales and publishing firm in the gaming industry and is a busy working mom. But since the death of her beloved son, Justin, who passed away at the age of 27 from an overdose, she's become a tireless advocate for addiction support and ways addicts and family members can understand the core problems that they face and get the help that they need. Lisa, welcome. Thank you. And then we also have Jason. Jason is a filmmaker who works as a videographer for Recovery Unplugged. Jason is, an, Jason is an alumnus of the Recovery Unplugged who got clean in 2016. Jason currently has five years of clean and is active in the Austin, Texas recovery community. Jason has spent the last nine months working on the Justin Enoch story and hopes to educate others on addiction whilst being able to share his friends Justin's legacy. Jason, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Um, so uh, just, just so you guys know, um, Riley Osborne was one of the first faces that I, that I saw um, at Recovery Unplugged. And, um, and Riley's story, his, his panache, his ability to find common ground with just about anybody he meets makes him an amazing, amazing individual. And, you know, I just want to, you know, just really give a personal thank you for Riley to Riley for taking out the time out tonight. Um, you know, uh, you could have been doing a lot of the things, but I'm glad that you uh, took the time out to do this with us. Absolutely. Of course. Um, and then, you know, I've been, you know, I guess I've been involved in one way, shape or form with the, with Justin's story since, you know, since, you know, since I've been here, I guess, um, for a while now. Um, and, you know, getting to meet um, Lisa has been a, an honor and also a privilege. Um, you know, understanding addiction is always something that is, is it changes for everybody who encounters it. You know, addiction is the same disease, but it expresses itself differently throughout different people and through different families. And what you do with that experience really kind of determines whether or not if you let addiction win. And Lisa has decidedly not let addiction win. So Lisa, thank you for your bravery and your support. Thank you so much for saying that. Thank you. And uh, telling stories and talking about addiction um, can sometimes be difficult. It can sometimes be a monumental task um, with, you know, with, with very difficult reins and very difficult, I guess, it's a very odd thing to lift. It's like trying to get a couch up a, a set of stairs with a, where you got to pivot. <laughs> and, uh, and it's just, it's an awkward thing to bear and it's an awkward thing to lift and hold. But the way that Jason tells the story of addiction and talks about addiction through his films, um, make almost everything seem like a one story move. Um, so Jason, thank you for all of the effort and energy that you put into all the videos that you've done. And guys, if you haven't had the chance or the opportunity, go to Recovery Unplugs um, YouTube uh, to view more of the movies and the and the um, and the videos that that Jason has made and has put his love, energy, and efforts into. Um, you you won't find a better use of your time if you're 
wanting to understand and learn about addiction than to watch some of Jason's videos. Um, so I highly recommend that. And Jason, thank you for everything that you do. Yeah, thanks, man. It's a pleasure to, uh, to be able to do it. Well, um, so just uh, before we, we're going to be doing a couple of things this evening. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we're going to be doing is, is we're going to be debuting uh, the Justin Enoch story. Um, we're going to get to that here real soon. Um, but one of the things I wanted to do is, you know, we have a we have a few topics that we wanted to bring up, and uh, you know, I think it's a good idea to sort of set the set the set the tone of what this is growing into and what this is going to be, um, and to allow ourselves the the bandwidth to to be inclusive of everyone of everyone who has experienced addiction all family members who experience addiction of a loved one um as well as people who are not sure whether or not if they themselves have an addiction or if someone that they love or know has an addiction um so you know if you fall into any of those categories you're in the right place um so and if you're just you know recovery curious and you're trying to figure out if you know if this is if this is a good choice or the right choice for you you're in the right place Feel free to ask your questions in the comments. We do really well about addressing them, um, but we're really happy to have everyone here. Um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about um, uh, to kind of kick it off, you know, obviously we're going to be talking a lot about Justin and talking a lot to um, Lisa and Riley um, is, you know, identifying and knowing the physical and behavioral signs of substance abuse. It's very easy to um, to overlook some behaviors and very easy to identify some others. But uh, we're gonna sort of kind of lay it out for you and also you know open it up for discussion so that you guys can hear from different perspectives, whether it's a loved one or someone who is in their addiction or someone who's working with someone who has an addiction. Um, so you can get a lot of different perspectives uh, on, on this. So uh, Riley, I want you to kick us off, man. Um, you know, how how are we identifying or what would you say is a way or a good way to, you know, to know or identify the physical and behavioral signs of substance abuse? Well, you know, the, the, the reality is that <clears throat> substance abuse affects more people than I think any of us could could ever really grasp, uh, especially in the world that we're living in today. Um, I think a a really good starting point of how do, how do I identify, you know, there, there definitely is a difference between use and abuse. Um, so how do we, how do we identify the difference between those two? And, um, you know, obviously I think that consequences are, are, are a big piece of that, you know, whether it be physical consequences from a health perspective, um, let's say we've, We've got somebody that's drinking too much. Um, we're definitely going to be struggling with uh, with weight and tremors, and um, and, and we're we're going to be falling asleep in places where we shouldn't fall asleep, and um, we're gonna we're gonna be forgetting things. We're we're gonna have we're gonna have blackouts, things of that nature. Or maybe we have somebody um, somebody that's an opiate addict, and uh, you know they're they're definitely also going to be falling asleep in places they shouldn't. Um, they're gonna. They're going to be, <clears throat> you know, if, if they're an IV user, we're going to be able to see some signs on, on their arms or on their on their neck, on their face, on their hands. Um, we're going to we're going to be able to see track marks, things that, that are identifiers. Um, and then, you know, if we talk about, um, you know, the, the change in someone that, that is an addict, you know, it, it turns into an entirely different person. Um, yeah, it's hard to recognize them sometimes, you know, because they, they normally wouldn't be doing the things that they're doing. Uh, maybe we've gone from the most honest John that, you know, um, to, to not being able to tell you if their their shirt's red when you can see that it's red, but they're going to tell you that it's purple. Um, and, and so that, that's a that's a, a mental change. Um, talked about some physical um, and then. You know, the other piece, uh, I think addiction is mental, physical and spiritual um, for myself and I think for, for everyone else. And um, the, 
the spiritual piece doesn't i'm not talking religion right that that's not what i'm getting at i think it's that core belief system that's within you that that you see a shift in um you you see them you know doing things that that are out of the ordinary or, or wouldn't have been a part of a part of who they are um so i think you know that's uh that's a great place to start from how do we identify if somebody is transitioning or already is in the difference between use and abuse. Um, what, uh, there, uh, we could, we could keep going, you know, promises made to stop, um, and the inability to, you know, swearing the, the, the literature, um, from a 12 step program says that we swore, an oath on the Bible and weren't able to, to follow through with it um, is, is one of the one of the stories in the beginning of, of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, that's that's a reality for most people that st- struggle with substance abuse. Um, what other what other kind of ways you think in K you've been in this world a long time? <laughs> you know, I, I, I'd say that, you know, I, I think like one of the one of the biggest signs for me, or actually, I want to say for me, one of the one of the most commonly answered questions, or the way that it's answered, I, I always ask when I'm talking to somebody, you know, when did you realize that your loved one had an addiction, and and it, and it's usually it's usually right along to the point of once the lie started, and not the mm-hmm. let, me, let me say this that. You know, somebody who's, you know, starting in their addiction gets really good at lying um, and really good at making people believe what that person wants them to believe. Um, what would and I'm perhaps is, um, is when the lies become so blatant that they really don't care anymore just how obvious the lies are. Um, so as long as it, so as long as it, makes their way to their next um to their next um use so i i'd say that you know when you when you start seeing someone or if you have someone in um you know in in your life that is making up a lot of excuses or you know just refuses to tell you the truth despite not despite them knowing that is obviously that they're obviously being dishonest with you I think that that's a, a good place to, to start with, you know, eh, you know, this, the addiction is probably the one telling me these lies and not the person that I love. What about you, Lisa? That's a good question. Um, so like you said, the dishonesty was a very, very big factor in, you know, knowing that something was very wrong, not only, you know, it, different times in Justin's, uh, you know, addiction, you know, his appearance would change, his uh, erratic behavior. Um, there was a lot of highs and lows, you know, he wouldn't want to engage with family, he would isolate. And it's, you know, there's so many different things and that um, so many different um things that you see that just you've never seen before. And, um, you know, it just, for him, I think with, when he was using heroin, he, you know, he, his appearance, I mean, he had lost so much weight. He was, uh, you know, he couldn't tell the truth to save his life because he would manipulate and tell me what I wanted to hear or tell us what we wanted to hear. And you know, the time when this first started, I believed him, I didn't know any better, I knew nothing. And um, as time went on, and his addiction went from, you know, heroin to alcohol, that's when he started to isolate and he didn't wanna be around anybody. He wouldn't uh, participate in any family things, he wouldn't get together with friends, he wouldn't do anything, so I think it's, you know, I've seen so many different things, you know, during the course of his addiction. Um, but I knew I could tell when he was going backwards. I could tell when he was slipping. He wasn't taking care of himself. Um, you know, he just didn't want to participate in life. 
and, you know, be with his family at all. And that's a sign to me because, you know, he can lie all he wants and say that, you know, everything is fine. But, you know, for us to see him in person, it was always, you know, we could tell. And it's, you know, he would always tell you what you wanted to hear. But in reality, you have to look. And when you see those different things, it's very evident that something is wrong and, you know, there's a change. Yeah. What about you, Jason? Um, I mean, I think even before it gets to the point where you're lying and manipulating, it's like you have to ask yourself, is it taking more than it's giving? Like if I'm going out for one night of drinking or partying, do I have to do a week's worth of damage control? Um, you know, signs like that. I could pinpoint like the time in my life when it, you know, and I got, I got clean at 42. So, you know, I used for a lot of years and um, I had a lot of fun in the beginning of it. And I was, you know, managing my life. But then at some point that was the only part of my life that I was uh, putting any effort into uh, putting any effort or energy into was, was getting and using more drugs. And it was, it, it was no longer, you know, taking, taking something to, to be a little bit more social or to take the edge off. It, it was a full-time job and it, and it took everything that I had. So, you know, I think, you know, and, and we're not talking about the person who has, you know, two glasses of wine and, and goes to bed every night. We're, we're talking about when things become unmanageable and, you know, you, you, you have to do more cleanup than, than, than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, with that being said, you know, you know, we're, we, 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 we've identified the addiction, right. And, you know, we've, we've said, Oh man, you know what, this is starting to look and sound like something that's, that's really concerning to me trying to figure out, you know, what to do and how to do it and what's the best way to say what I want to say to this person. Um, what would you say is, you know, what is, what's the next step? What's the, what's the next intervening thing that, that should be done or said, or, you know, how do you, how do you go from there? Like, what's the next step after that? Riley, when you have somebody that you think is, you know, they, they're doing these things, they have the dishonesty, they have the, the obvious track marks or the obvious drug use signs and symptoms. Um, you know, what do you do next? What comes after that? I, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in, in having a conversation before it gets to the point where you can't have a conversation. Um, so in the context, of, I very recently uh, had somebody come to me and say, hey, I've got, uh, got an individual, um, you know, definitely looking like we might have a problem. We're, we're hiding bottles. Um, we're we're drinking, we've made promises that we're not going to drink until the new year. And we've been drunk nine times since then, you know, what, what do you think the best, the best recourse is? And, and my response was, um, well, how, how do you think we should start? And well, you know, I'm thinking maybe we start with a, a very, you know, low level of care, right? Not, not very in depth, not diving into things. Um, I said, well, you know, wouldn't it make more sense for us to to go ahead and get this thing head off now before we need to to really do a to put a huge barrier in place to put a big boundary up? Um, and and so the, the the family agreed. Um, and so the game plan is tomorrow to to sit down with this individual and and have a conversation and talk about. Um, listen, we, we know that things aren't going well. We really think that we need to start a process of getting you some help. Um, how do you feel about that? So I, it's a conversation, first and foremost. Um, it's, it's not a, a – being in recovery myself, I operate – unfortunately, I operate this way. If somebody looks at me and tells me to do something – I'm normally going to do the exact opposite. Uh, that, that's just kind of how I roll. Um, I, I'm much better at it today after having a little bit of time of, of having to live differently. Um, but but the reality is, 
starting the conversation and and helping them, you know, walk walking them to a place of being open to change, right? Because that's that's what has to happen. We have to get to the point where maybe something can be different. The, the contemplation stage of change uh, is is the objective in that first first conversation, um, and and when someone's ready for help, jumping on it doing it immediately uh, because with addiction if ego is down if it's been beaten back right ego is is something that everybody on this earth struggles with right but for for substance abuse individuals um the minute that ego creeps back up we don't need help we don't have a problem it's not that bad uh, and the reality is that's that's their disease talking to them uh that, that's not the individual uh, but sitting down with them having the conversation if they're open to getting help then diving into it immediately not waiting for the weekend not waiting until we've got some more pto for work it's it's immediate because if we don't do it immediately then we might miss our chance um and then uh, if, if they're not ready for help, um, you know, the reality is that, that we're meant to love our loved ones, but we can't love them to death. I think that's really important. Um, holding the boundary in place, not enabling, not allowing them to to get money from you, to, to, to have a place to sleep at night if they're if they're actively stealing from you or they're actively doing dirty deeds, right? Um, really just putting a boundary in place because without consequences, most people wouldn't be sober today. I, I can say that for myself. I, I think Jason would agree with that statement, uh, but consequences meaning some things that are, that are put in place to, to stop them from being able to continue the behavior that they're actively doing. Um, but doing it from a place of love, doing it from a place where they know that it's, it's not meant to hurt them. It's meant to protect them. And, and, and not, uh, I'll say it again, you can't love your loved ones to death because that, that, that can happen. Um, and, and that's, uh, it, it's, it's a very tight rope. Um, but, but I can tell you that, that my recovery experience as well as my professional experience, um, putting boundaries in place, healthy boundaries, boundaries that people can, must adhere to, right? Not not can, but must is, is something that that will save your loved one. That it, it, it will save their life. Um, and 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 unfortunately, you know that that may not be enough sometimes, right? Like there there, there is no um, there is no piece of paper that I can hand you on on how to exactly go about this conversation um, because every situation is different, every individual is different, everybody's you know life story is different so, so going about it in a way that can that can be heard by the individual not the disease you got to talk to the human behind the disease that that you do know that you do love that that you have been able to see and, and remembering that they still are there even even though the disease is is present and it's active and, and it's right there in your face and it's a big ugly monster the human is still there behind the scenes. Um, you just got to be able to, to speak to that person, the, the, the true individual. I think identifying separating the addiction from the person is, is, is key to the, to the initial approach. Um, everybody who, you know, no, no one wants, no one wants to find comfort and, and resentment. Right. And, um, and that's often what, what our emotions grow into is, is that, you know, we, we've been stolen from, we've been lied to, we've been taken advantage of. And that creates this, this feeling and this difficult, um, this difficult barrier to get over for families. And the first step I think is identifying that the person that you're talking to might look <laughs> and sound like your loved one, but, sometimes you're you're dealing directly with the addiction and the emotions that 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 come along with dealing with that ad addiction are very 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 hard to compartmentalize or to put aside when when addressing individuals um so you know sometimes it's also best to get a professional involved um you know to call someone like riley or jason uh, or call someone that's been through it like lisa and, and ask the questions, you know, what do I say next? And sometimes 
people will tell you, don't say anything right now. Um, I'm going to talk to them or we need to talk to them in a professional setting, whether it's a therapy session, whether it's a, a home intervention or whether it's an, a phone guided intervention um, where people can give you, you know, uh, insight and opportunity to say the right words that keep your emotions from making the decisions for you. Um, so, you know, it, it's, 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 I like the way that you said it, you know, don't love them to death. You know, then the enabling factor is very difficult. Um, Jason, what would you say um, is, you know, your, you know, what, what would be your feedback to the next steps after identifying an addiction? Um, definitely meeting somebody where they're at, um, because, you know, it could be a volatile situation trying to, to intervene with somebody's, you know, drug use, because more often than not, this is their favorite thing in the entire world. And you're telling them this is the one thing that you cannot have anymore. You cannot do this anymore. And, you know, that for, for an addict, um, when when I came when I would come to those crossroads to be like I could you know I could go to treatment I could stop this I could I could get my life back together I, it, it was terrifying because that was the only thing that that um, I knew was certain was the way the drugs were going to make me feel there was a there was a comfort in that um, real life is scary for somebody who's been numbing for so long and. You know, it, it, it that you know that's why um, it's really important to to like you were saying, ask questions, get feedback. Don't 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 let your emotions always um, be at the forefront of it when you're confronting somebody. Because of course you're mad and you're hurt. And you don't understand, um, you know, why why the person you love is is choosing this path of destruction right over over a seemingly good life um but you know it, it, and, and knowing that i knew and, and i and i tended to surround myself by people who had solutions even before i was ready to to listen to them because um you know you just i i had a lot of friends from the street who, who got clean uh, quite a few years before me, and I saw what they were doing. And these were like no bullshit people. These were people who used like I use, who <sighs> straightened up so much that they just were like, they were different people in a positive way. It wasn't the different person that you would see if somebody drank too much or was using drugs. It was like this clear-headed and just like this lightness about them. And they just seemed more confident and they didn't seem angry or reactive. And that was really attractive to me. So once I, once I started even, I mean, I, I remember making my first call uh, to my friend Kirk. Um, it was probably about seven years before I ultimately got clean. And I called him and I was just like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing so hot. And he's like, oh, I know. <laughs> like, I definitely know you're not doing so hot. And I was like, man, what do I need to do? And he was like, just call me anytime you feel like this. And, you know, it wasn't like, I'm going to come get you right now. We're going to take you to treatment. But he was just saying, like, you know, when you're ready, I got you. You know, and it's really important to just surround yourself by those people, even if you're not necessarily ready. Thank you. Um, Lisa? So it's this is kind of a crazy thing so when we were trying to deal with you know justin's addiction and treatment and things like that when all this was starting i didn't know anything i didn't i didn't know where to go i didn't have other people to talk to i didn't have groups because this was so new to me um but when you know i finally realized that, um, that I should say, we realized that Justin needed uh, to go to treatment. And first of all, there was no judgment from us. We were just concerned as parents that, you know, we wanted him to get well. And, you know, at the time, like I said, I didn't know where to start. Um, 
but it became a job for me because he was in and out of treatment so many times. Um, it was like a revolving door, but, um, you know, the first time we ever sent him to treatment, I got him on the plane. We all felt so good. We thought it was going to be great. And he stayed for five days and left. And it just started this revolving door of in and out. And, um, you know, obviously um, my enabling made the situation a lot worse because I would allow him to come home. I would, you know, I... I'm still a mother. I was still his mom and I didn't want to abandon him during these times. Um, but, you know, I just, it's so hard. Um, you know, you want to do the right thing. You think you're doing the right thing for your child. You're, um, I would call, suggest different places, you know, get him on track, talk to him. I would want his, um, you know, I, I would want his suggestions, things, places where he think he would be comfortable, you know, anything to, to engage him in wanting to go to treatment and trying to help him. And, uh, you know, I can't say that it, what I did was uh, a positive thing in some ways, um, because like I said, he would go, he would leave, We'd find him somewhere else, he would go back. And I made it too easy for him almost because I was doing it. And it, the fact of the matter is, if he didn't want to be there, he wasn't going to engage with the program and he would leave. Um, but again, I would always want to make sure as a mother that he was being taken care of and that I didn't want him to feel like he wasn't loved or that we didn't care. And ultimately, um, thinking back on, you know, a lot of the things I did and how I handled things, I, you know, I, I blew it. <laughs> I blew it, so to speak, um, because, the, you know, enabling and having consequences for certain actions, you know, that's all well and good. But if those things aren't working the way you're doing them, um, you know, it's very hard. You know, I could, you can never stop being a mom. And especially Justin and I were so close. Um, you know, it's, you talk about loving your child to, you know, to death almost. In the beginning, it's exactly, I was, I was enabling him so much that I think that's why the cycle kept happening. Um, but it's very, uh, it's very hard to think back on and you know you can you always wish you could have done things differently with uh, because I know so much more now I wish I had known back then and I would have done things you know like I said a lot different you're muted Kay. Thank you. <laughs> I said, uh, on that note, um, you know, we've got some, you know, some comments and questions that we're going to address here in a minute. But before we do that, I'd like to go ahead and pivot to um, the Justin Enoch story. Um, we've got a lot of people watching and, you know, we've got a lot of people who probably want to hear and watch. So uh, uh, let's go ahead and get that loaded and good to go. In 2019, over 50,000 people died of an opioid overdose. But this is not about the opioid epidemic. Justin Enoch was just one of the hundreds of people who lose their lives to addiction each and every day. Justin Enoch was more than a citizen. He was a son, a brother, and a friend. Justin Enoch was also my friend. Justin was my beautiful son. Uh, he was a wonderful, wonderful young man. He just was the love of my life, my best friend. Well, I, I need a minute. Sorry. 
Justin had these amazing talents with music. We would go to my parents' house and my mother played the piano and Justin would just start, you know, playing around with it. And we were amazed that he had kind of taught himself how to play the piano. And from there, he wanted a drum set. He was probably 10 years old. His friend had a, you know, a little guitar and they started playing and he and his friends put a group together and it was a talent show. Justin wanted me to make the costumes and gave me about a one day's notice to do so. And they dressed up as Kiss. Although he was embarrassed, everybody laughed at him, but he proudly went up there, did all the moves. You know, I was so proud of him because that's where he shined. As he got older, people really started to notice. People wanted to play music with him. People wanted him to be in their band. Justin had a million friends. To this day, I still am so connected with so many of his friends because they were a big part of you know my life too. Lisa and her husband Ronnie's house has always been a hangout and a safe space for Justin and his friends. Ryan Brady and Alex Maluski still visit to catch up, share their music, and to reminisce. You know, he was the kid in school who, you know, he would do something to make everybody laugh. And of course he would get in trouble for it. We were in like sixth grade. Justin had these two magnetic uh, nose rings. Then all of a sudden they slid up and the outsides both fell off and he went, <laughs> what grade was that? We were like 11 or 12 or something. He was all gothy back then. We always wish we could have Justin as our third member of our band. He loved music and he made me love it more. Music was his passion. That was one place he could stand apart from other people. It made him feel wonderful where he didn't for so many other things. He was just lacking in. Justin has always been a bit insecure. I think he feared his feelings. He would ski down the biggest mountain. He would be on a skateboard and go down a flight of stairs. That's not the type of fear that he had. It was the internal things that he feared. He just feared his emotions. He just wasn't comfortable with himself and dealt with it, you know, unfortunately in some ways that he shouldn't have. Lisa found journals that Justin kept and discovered that he started using cocaine and opiates at the age of 14. Over the next few years, his drug use progressed substantially. Olivia DeFonte is a longtime friend of Justin that witnessed the progression. When Justin first started doing those sort of drugs, like people were casually doing it, and I saw it and I was like, you guys are fucking idiots. But then it really got more secretive where it was like, Nobody was doing it at the party anymore. I think that's kind of where I knew something was like really wrong. I can think of a, a million circumstances when I did the wrong thing. I didn't react the correct way to the signs that Justin was showing because I thought that I should believe what he's saying. And I, I have so much guilt over that because could I have made a difference? Absolutely. Parents love their kids and it's a difficult concept to grasp that your child has a problem with drugs. He started using heroin here and there and then it got so bad that he told me he had to Google the effects that he was having and telling me that he needed to go to detox. I didn't quite grasp how serious things had gotten and I didn't want to believe it. I didn't want to believe it. I had to quite literally Google my experiences and symptoms, only for Google to tell me I was a raging junkie and going through withdrawal. 
In 2014, Justin attended his first treatment center near home. He completed the program, but then began abusing opiate withdrawal medication. This is where the drug use seemed to become a priority in his life. Enter age 20. I'm using every day. My family is aware of my problem, and I'm bleeding my mother dry of money. At this point in my addiction, I'm quite good at manipulating people, especially my mother. You want to be on good terms and be connected with your loved one, but you do not want your strongest connection to be with their addiction. You want their strongest connection to be with their recovery. Working a family recovery program is crucial in being able to gain a connection with your loved one's recovery rather than continuing or building or enabling the connection that you may have had with their addiction. From there, we sent Justin to rehab out of state. I put him on an airplane to California and checked himself out five days after getting there. And that is when the nightmare began. I wish I had taken a stand. It just was a cycle of years of in and out of rehab. Justin went to roughly 10 treatment centers in the span of two years. More often than not, he would return home early and not complete the continuum of care. This also marks the time of where the manipulation started. It was definitely really hard for me to see Justin manipulate his mother because Lisa is probably one of the best people that I know and so loving and caring. It was hard. The common misconception is that going to treatment or rehab will be a cure and this person will never want to use drugs again in their life. It's all about follow through. If a person doesn't follow through with the aftercare plans and the coping skills and the relapse prevention techniques that they learned in treatment, it is then likely that a person can relapse after treatment, which could potentially lead to going back into treatment. So we were doing research, trying to find a facility that he would want to stay at that he would have a connection with, that he would like to be at and would like to stay at. And when I found Recovery Unplugged and that they use music, I thought to myself, this could be very good for Justin. And he was very receptive to going and do sober living. You know, the music, the therapy, just connecting with good people. It was just something where Justin enjoyed it and was was successful i just found out my friend ben has overdosed and passed away i'm currently leaving treatment i just want to go home i want to see my mom so there may be a day where you get a phone call from your loved one while they're in treatment with them saying that i need to leave this facility as soon as possible because this just happened or a family member passed away or I have to pay my bills, or I need to get back to work, or I need to get back to my house. Though these situations could be completely valid and seem urgent, the real urgency in the bigger picture is really about why this person came to treatment. Most people that come into treatment have a severe and life-threatening disease of addiction. Now, cutting their treatment short for any reason is putting their recovery at risk. Putting their recovery at risk is increasing the risk of death and relapse. It's different when you're with a group, when you have that structure, and which is so important. And that's when Justin thrived, when he was in a structured environment. He did come, come home. I just think he was very afraid. I think he was very afraid. Anytime he was not in the structured environment, he was scared still really want to go back to my temporary home at the treatment center. You know, if someone from outside of your family, like one of their friends or something, is saying like, hey, he needs help, they're probably not like just saying that. It takes like a lot of guts and courage for you to go and tell on your best friend. He was my best friend.
what are we, like 20 minutes from? Back out of the room and just called the police department and, um, and called Lisa to let her know that they had found him. time I've been there since since Justin passed away. It's just so hard to think that he's not sitting up there right now, that I wasn't here just picking him up to go for lunch or go shopping. I just I just can't I still can't process that he's not here. I had a huge, very big argument about um, just him not taking care of himself. And I saw signs that he was slipping and he was going backwards. And I talked to him about going back into recovery. And he said he, that there was no need. He didn't need to do that. That he was trying to, he stopped drinking and he was going to, trying to do it on his own. It is highly recommended against doing this on your own not because I'm saying so, but because it's incredibly dangerous and the risk rate is incredibly high. This is where the relapse and death rate goes through the roof, where people are trying to detox themselves off alcohol at home. And they think if they could just take a couple of medications that they think could detox themselves, that they'll be okay and they'll get through the process. But in today's um, drug market, unfortunately, uh, a client does not really know what they're getting. So they're thinking they're using a benzodiazepine or they're thinking they're using a, just a normal opiate or a pain pill. And they're actually finding out that there's more lethal substances in them, such as fentanyl, carfentanyl. He felt horrible. He was in pain. Justin was in pain the last month of his life. Justin bought oxycodone off the street to try and ease the effects of detoxing off of alcohol. His autopsy confirmed that he ingested one of the pills he had the other one in his wallet. The pill was counterfeit and contained carfentanil. Both Ryan and Alex had struggled with addiction for years, but since Justin and their mutual friend Ben's overdoses, they both addressed their addiction and have maintained their recovery. I've been sober for a year and a half now. It just makes sense to me to take what I've learned and, and how I knew, knew them and bring that to other people. Both of them, like, combined uh, definitely gave me a lot of motivation to stay sober. And Lisa is now an advocate and helps to spread awareness about addiction and the dangers of enabling loved ones. We were able to catch up with Lisa to go over some developments that happened since the initial interview. I wanted to show you something pretty cool. Knowing the whole Kiss story, Justin dressing up as Kiss and your your guys' history with that. We reached out and um, Kiss's manager, Doc McGee, and I told him about the story. We brought Justin on stage. Oh my God. 
during the the drum solo. That was like a, like a dream come true for Justin. He always wanted to see Kiss. That was like some one of the bands he always wanted to see. We brought the pictures. We got them autographed. Oh my god. And then there's a little message from uh, Gene Simmons on the back. That is so amazing. Uh, okay. Recovery Unplugged is going to do a scholarship um, every month in Justin's name. It's just very, I don't even know what to say. That's amazing. Yeah, that's something that I was always hoping that, you know, that I could help facilitate because I know that it would be something that, you know, just something that Justin would want to do if he was, he would always wanted to help people. And, you know, this is a way he can still do it. He was a big part of so many people's lives, not just family, but friends. As a parent, if you see any signs of drugs or alcohol, the worst thing is enabling. Don't be afraid to talk about things. Don't be afraid to talk to groups and learn more and educate yourself. Because in the beginning, I knew nothing. And when you reach out and you're not afraid to ask questions and not afraid to ask for help or um, not afraid to talk about it, that is the absolute best thing. Wow, what an amazing and moving and uh, powerful uh, message and story. Um, thank you, Lisa and Jason, for you know putting this together. Um, Lisa, you know, obviously, you know, how do you feel after watching that? I just, I can't even put it into words. I've watched it so many times. Sorry, I don't want to cry. <laughs> I watch that every day. I've been watching it every day since I've seen the, <laughs> since Jason sent it to me. It just, it's kind of a way of me still having him, me still having Justin, but it's, it just makes me sad and it guilty. It gives me a lot of emotions. You know, I wish I could have done more for him, and uh, it's very, it's very sad. But he was such a wonderful person, and so many people loved him, and he he actually helped so many people. Believe it or not, um, he was such a good friend to everybody. Um, You know, I'm, I'm sure that there's somebody who's watching that or who watched that, that Justin's story has saved a life, right? And, and that's the hard, right? That's the, that's, the, that's the prickly part of the hug um, that hurts to hold on to or to squeeze tighter. But to know after something so tragic, something beautiful can come of it. And there's 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 never a good explanation as to as to why some and not others. Um, 
why me and not them or why 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 this person that was loved versus this other person and there is there's a there's a way to there's a way to say this right and I, and I think that it's love abounds and forgiveness abounds and it doesn't mean that hurt and pain and shame and guilt don't still exist but it does mean that love and happiness and the future is still attainable and possible so for everyone who's watching this and who's watched this just know that right take the message and learn from the and guilt and shame know that those things exist in a very very small portion of hearts when we have love because it there's when, when you have hope there's tomorrow there is a tomorrow when you have hope. and uh, if you or a loved one is struggling with that trying to find or trying to grasp onto that hope trying to get a reason for a why or if you feel like that somebody or yourself is spiraling out of control so much so that your life or their life or you know the future is in danger reach out to someone reach out to someone like riley or jason or even lisa because identifying an addiction and doing the next thing when it comes to identifying the addiction is the difference between life and death and getting individuals to understand just how much they mean to you despite what they've done is important um Riley, I want to go ahead and give you the final word for this evening. Um, you know, you know, we, uh, you know, this is a very powerful and moving video. Um, but I want you to talk about forgiving yourself, picking up the pieces, healing after an overdose fatality. You know, tell me, you know, give us a little bit more you know, and talk about that. And uh, you get the last word of the evening, Rob. Lisa, that, that, um, that touched home for me. Uh, and I can tell you that um, everybody's life, that, but before I answer that question, okay, um, you know, for, for myself, I'm going to talk to you as a person in recovery for a minute, not a professional, but I, I can remember the very first friend that I had that passed away from this disease. And I was in treatment and um, and he had just left and got wind of it. And uh, I have a song to this day that the second I hear the first beat drop, he pops into my head. And and I feel like he's walking with me when, um, when I hear that song. And then I have another song. I don't know why music touches this part in my brain but I, but I have songs that that reflect on on people for me and and another one that was a, a super close family friend that I picked up from treatment and um, took him to the airport and I was one of the last people to to be with him before he passed and and so what I'm getting at as, as an individual in recovery um, and I just had a guy that I sponsored for a couple of months that passed away last week from an overdose um, and uh, I don't have a song for him yet, but I'm sure it's coming. That's a part of my, my grieving process, if you will, um, that, that I can I can still hold on to them with a song the same way that you're doing with this video. And um, I use their story to help other people. That, that, that's a fact for me. Um, I allow what they gave me to, to touch another life. And so they do live on within us is 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 what it comes down to i think are, are they here on on this earth with us anymore no they're not and um and and that's um that's never going to be an easy pill to swallow um acceptance is is not something that i've ever been great at um it's something that i try and do but if i can if i can use an experience i had with someone that has passed because of a drug overdose or or maybe they drank too much and they got in a car accident and they were driving drunk or um, you know, something went bad in a drug, whatever it may be from, from addiction, right? If I can use that to help another individual 
then their legacy lives on. And I think that's beautiful. And that, that's what I try and do every single day that I go to work, whenever I'm sitting down with somebody that um, that's struggling, that that's not sure if this is for them, um, that uh, that needs some hope, like Kay just got done talking about. I, I try and I try and take these pieces of people that, that I got to see that that, that didn't make it, unfortunately. Um, and I try and uh, I try and bring them into the conversation, right? Use them as an example, because I, what I see pretty often with people that are in the beginning phases of getting started on this recovery journey, because it is a journey. It's uh, there is no you go somewhere for a couple of days and and then uh, all of a sudden you're cured. You know, if that was a thing. Um, I, I wouldn't be the man I am today if that's the way it worked. Um, if there was a pill to, to fix addiction, then I'd have probably taken two in early recovery, um, just because that's that's the way that that I rolled back then. Um, but um, just being able to watch this video of Justin, um, I'm going to be able to carry him with me moving forward and and use his story for somebody else. And and that's 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 beauty to me. That, that that's why I show up to. That's why I got into this world um, was to be able to help other people. And um, Kay, to answer your question, um, forgiving yourself, um, you know, I, I think that um, I, I'm not a parent. Um, I've got four dogs and um, I love them like they're my kids. So if I lost one of them today, I, I know how bad, hard that would be. But the reality is that addiction addiction isn't something that that i think we'll ever be able to to fix with um with medicine right just just immediately i don't i don't think that's going to happen in any of our lifetimes or um within the next 100 years right so so recovery is is something that has to happen and and i can't um i can't you can't jason can't we can't want someone sober. We can't force someone to get sober. Sure, could we lock them into a room and and not allow them to leave? Of course we could, but is that is that living? I don't think it is. I think that recovery is having a life that that is worth living and and that's that's what I that's that's what I always try and tell people, you know, I speak it to you as someone in recovery. I didn't get sober to um to just read a book all day, every day. I didn't just get sober to sit inside of a meeting house. I didn't just get sober to be on the phone with my sponsor 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I got sober to have a life worth living. I got sober to have the connection with my family again. I got sober to be able to have people that loved Riley for Riley, not because of what Riley could get them or, or how, how fun of a party animal he was. Recovery is something that, um, that can't be given, right? It's something that that you wake up in the morning and, and that is earned. Um, and it, it's it's not it's not a hard task. It, it's just doing some simple things each and every day. Um, but picking yourself up, what 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 does that look like for for losing someone? What can you do? Being an advocate the way that you are is um, is probably the number one way. I, I, God bless my mom and dad and my entire family whenever I was the first person to have a substance abuse issue because they were in the exact same boat that you were, Lisa. They didn't know what way was up, what way was down, left and right. They they were doing everything that they could. Um, and, uh, you know, the reality is if there's more people like you out there in the community talking to people, smashing this stigma that addiction is a choice and it's, it's something that bad people do, um, the more people that we have in this world talking about that, the more people that we have as advocates for individuals that can't speak for themselves because somebody in active addiction is not capable of that, a, a voice for the, for the person that is unable to speak up, right? The more people that we have doing exactly what you're doing today is, is what we need. And, and um, I think that by doing that, you are carrying on his legacy and 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 i know it was it, it was cut short um but but the reality is that you're doing exactly what i think he would want you to be doing and and and, and you can you can have faith in that as far as i'm concerned um because the the human being behind the the disease loved you as his mom um and, and and i can speak for anyone that struggles with addiction right there there is the disease and there is the human element um 
and and remembering, you know, that 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 behind this guy is behind the manipulation and behind the all the issues that are going on, right? That that human is still there. We just can't. We we just got to talk to them. That's what we got to get to. We got to get back to that person that we know and that we love. Um, so if 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 you see somebody that is struggling. Um, reach out immediately don't wait don't wait on it to get worse don't even risk it um i've, I've lost more friends in the past couple of years than the, i stopped counting is is the reality um that that's that's the world we're living in now and i know jason could you know put a check mark next to that statement as well for himself i'm sure um but getting help sooner rather than later is absolutely the objective um that that, that just has to be the stance that we take uh, because if we don't, then then we run into, well, is there something else, else that I could have done? And Lisa, I think you, you took all the right steps. You got him the help. You, you, you put in some boundaries. Um, but don't love your loved one to death. I think that's that's a big piece, right? Putting in those boundaries and, and trying to do the right thing. The, the fellow that talked in there is Ian Jackson. He's, uh, he's my clinical director in Nashville. I'm blessed to have him. Um, but he also wrote the book for Clinical for Recovery Unplugged as a whole. And um, he, uh, you know, he, he's just got a way of, of trying to trying to help people get back to being the person that they can be and and that's with families that's with clients that's what that's with anyone um but picking yourself up i think that uh getting out of bed is is a victory some days if if you're in the position that you're in lisa showing up to work is a victory eating three meals a day is a victory right succeeding in life doesn't have to be this grandiose idea of things especially when we're dealing with the trauma that goes along with losing a child the reality is that those small wins are huge victories we, we're not trying to climb mount Everest every single day we're just trying to, to put one foot in front of another and, and and carry that legacy and and make a difference um so i i, I hope that um answers your question Kay. um i think uh you know jason phenomenal job dude that was uh that was really really cool really cool video and and it's it, it, it's going to be around until the internet's not here and i don't foresee that happening right that that's the coolest part that that <laughs> we, we, we live in an age where anyone can now access this anyone can hear justin's story and if he can if he can touch one life from where he is now that's that's a success as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely, that's amazing. So getting getting somebody help is is, is it's better to do it now than it is to do it later. And um, there's never going to be enough beds in this country, in this world, to help the people that need the help. Um, so so really just just making sure that, that you're you're doing everything that you can to, to help people get the help that they need, I think is, is what, what it comes down to. I agree. I agree. All right. Well, thank you, Riley, for the last words. Lisa, thank you for coming and sharing your story with us and allowing us to, you know, to talk about and honor Justin. And then Jason, thank you for putting together, you know, all of this and making it all possible for, you know, for other people to see all across the world. Um, thank you guys. You guys have a good night and I'll see you guys next Thursday. Same time, same place. Thank you.